We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. Happy Easter and long weekend. Happy Easter to everyone that celebrates it, and we hope you've had a very relaxing long weekend. We're just launching in because I have a house full of about five kids. I've locked them out of the room that I'm in with a mere sliding door. There's not even a lock, so I don't even know how long I've got, but how's your weekend been? It's been absolutely fabulous. We didn't go anywhere. We decided to stay home. It was my first time going to Blues Fest in Byron Bay, and we took the kids on day one. That was awesome, but extremely exhausting, yet they had a lot of fun. And day two, we went without the kids, but all in all, it was just such a wholesome weekend, just being with family and laughing and having fires and Yeah, I feel like our cups have all been filled up. But my house, on the other hand, because it's school holidays, is (laughs) has also been filled up. (laughs) Is a literal shit show. The whole hallway, I'm tripping over everything. There's mess everywhere. But you've just got to close your eyes for two weeks and go enjoy kids. Whatever. How's it been for you? Goldie actually stood on Lego for the first time this morning, and I couldn't help but internally laugh because I was like, "Yep." Like, you know, just that first time where you're just like betrayed, betrayed by the Lego. (laughs) I'm laughing because I literally, it sounds like there's a stampede of elephants outside my room. There's not a child over the age of like five, yet they sound like literal full-blown elephants out there. So I hope you can't hear that. But if you can... I'm sure if you've just experienced a long weekend at your house, you will fully understand. Oh, yeah. But we have had the nicest time. Last week, as I said in the intro, we were in Melbourne. And then for the long weekend, we have been in Meetung, which is in like Gippsland of Victoria. Is that with Nick's parents? Yeah, Nick's whole family's down here. They have like a older style cabin on like an island. Like you can only access this spot by boat. It's just really cool. Like it's all low key. There's no TV. There's just a fire. And it has been so relaxing because there's not a lot to do. There's not a lot of places to go. And it yeah, it's just been so, so good for the soul. The kids have just been playing and getting along well, even though they haven't gone to daycare in nearly two weeks. And it's just been really, really nice. And after sleeping like utter crap in Melbourne, Pearl has decided that Meetung is where she sleeps. So (laughs) we're considering moving. I can't stand the cold, but we're considering moving just so that she'll sleep. Well, you've got reception, so you can move if you want to. We can still continue the pod. Seriously, when we were jumping on to do this intro, I was like, I'm hotspotting off my phone. It's only like 
a couple of bars of 4G. I'm like, is this even going to work? And apparently it is working. Hopefully I can upload it to actually go live. But (laughs) yeah, we've had such a nice time. I can't say bedtime on Easter Sunday was that much fun. The girls were absolutely wired. We tried to do a late lunch, early dinner and explain to them what Lina was, but they just didn't get it. Like we got home and they were like, we haven't had dinner. We're hungry. And we're like, oh, fuck yeah. They like don't really get what late lunch means. But all in all, it's been so, so good. Can I just say one thing that has not been okay? And I don't know why it's been happening again. My children have been coming to me in the middle of the night and you know when you sense that their faces are so close to you but you, you're asleep and then you open your <laughs> eyes and then you just like, <gasps> terrifying. the other night Billy did it and I went, ah, and she went, ah, and we both screamed at each other. I go, oh, Billy, you scared me. She goes, you scared me. I go, your face is in my face. And she goes, yeah, yeah, but you, you knew I was here. <laughs> but then Mia on Easter morning, it was 4.30 and she's like, mum. And I'm like, Oh my god! It's happened again. I have like, I think I have full on shock. I cannot cope with it, and I've had to sit down and have a proper meeting to them because I'm like, I cannot wake up that way anymore. Yeah, like any time way in or something, or cough or stomp really loudly, and but just don't even say mum this close to my face. It's (laughs) it's literally like right nose to nose. Like like I can't hear them any other time. Anyway. If it happens to you, let us know on the Facebook group, Facebook group because honestly, it is Facebook. been Facebook group because it's been giving me a fright. Well, I want you to let us know on the Facebook group as well if we should start a new category of segments because our root or fabulous today is another one of those. Where did Beyond the Bump start playing unintentionally for you? Because you know how we've had the man who it's he started playing his wife's Beyond the Bump episode <laughs> at the correctional facility that he worked at. Well, this is another one like that. So we want you to send us in where Beyond the Bump has unintentionally started playing for you. But this one is, my husband hopped in his car after I was driving it. Our cars are close enough to the house that the phone connects and whatever was playing last automatically plays. I'd been listening to the pelvic floor episode. That's last week's episode if you haven't listened. And the first thing my husband heard when he turned the car on was vaginas are narrow at the entrance and bigger on the inside. He came inside and asked what the hell I was listening to. I absolutely lost it. Look, I think it's fabulous because everyone, even if you don't intend to, it's just an education, all right? So you're welcome. Totally. If there's messages you would like us to, you know, subconsciously send to your partners, let us know. We can say it online and you can just quote unquote accidentally have it start playing in their car. (laughs) Yeah, have it at a point where you want to get them. If you want them to listen, this is an actual hack. This is like a relationship hack. Yeah, you you put the mental load episode on and then you just have it paused exactly where you want it to explain the mother's mental load. Press play and look, their entire office, whatever, can start listening to it if they want to. I love it. I absolutely love it. Now we're going to get stuck into today's episode 
It is with Jossie. She is a beautiful, beautiful lady who reached out to us saying that she had been going through IVF for over five years now and just had such a layered, I guess, different story, but elements of the story that we feel that everyone could relate to. We do want to say there is discussion around weight. If this is triggering for you, please contact the Butterfly Foundation on 1-800-33-4673. And there is also discussion around suicide. So if you find that triggering, please call Lifeline on 131114. Yeah, we really appreciate Josie for coming on and being super open and raw. And we really hope everyone enjoys this episode. Hello, Josie. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Uh, Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So yeah, my name's Josie. I live at home with my partner, Chris. We're in the midst of building a house that was meant to be for our forever home. But a long story there, I think our our builder went bankrupt. So our home is no longer a beautiful family home, which is a slab of cement. We have four dogs, um, Dog Crazy. Sophie doesn't want to hear that, but I'm very happy to hear that. I'm happy for other people to be dog crazy. I'm just not dog crazy myself. (laughs) Weird. I don't understand it. Uh, Can't relate. And we've been doing IVF for five years. Wow. Yeah. So talk us through through the start. When did you realise that you needed IVF? So a little bit different to most people. I probably realised when I was about 12 because I came out as gay to my parents. And from there, it was this knowing that my life probably wasn't going to look the same as my brother's with his partner. So my partner now that I've been with for eight years, he is actually transgender. So from female to male, he's transitioned. And did that transition happen in the time that you two have been together? Yeah. 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 And what was that like? Wild. It it is still every day is such a journey. What has happened in that time? Yeah, he had his uh, like a double mastectomy. So he had his breast removed. And then he's on testosterone, so he looks quite different. He's growing the facial hair. He's quite, like, built now, which is just, it's wild. He looks amazing. And when you two first got together, was this something that he knew and that you knew or did this come as a surprise for yourself? Yeah, he knew that he'd always felt that he was trans, but because he's 10 years older than me as well, so he's 44 almost, so he grew up with that era of you, you don't be gay mm. and you definitely don't be trans. Like that was not a thing, not okay. Yeah. So yes, he felt it, but he never acted on it. And then when we got together, because I'm so open and so much of a pusher of being yourself, um, that it helped him go, yeah, okay, like I've been sitting on this for 30 plus years. I need to do something. It sounded like you nurtured him, not pushed him. Yeah, okay, let's go with that. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And how is that for you as a gay woman that you are now with a man? Well, I've always kind of, so I came out as gay to my mum, but then when I got older, I identified as queer. So I am attracted to people's personalities, not their bits. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. Just so we can understand, what is is it the terminology? No, I just want to know what the difference is between queer and pan. Great question. And I don't really have an answer because there's so many letters in 
the LGBTQIA+++++. I don't understand the difference between queer and pan either. I just say queer because I think it includes every gender. But as I also think pan is the same. So I actually couldn't tell you. It's a great yeah. question. I'm not sure, but from what I've heard, can you use queer if you're gay? You can use queer yeah. if you're bisexual. I think it just means a sexuality that is not heterosexual, whereas pan is probably more specific. Like you may use queer in the way that others may identify as pan, but I think queer maybe isn't as specific. Yeah, that that makes sense because it is an umbrella term to say that you're queer. So I guess, yeah, it, it's got pan inside of it as well. So I know gay people that say they're queer and I think it's just owning back the term queer because it was such a derogatory term for so many years that we've owned that word and we're taking it back now. How good is this new world? Just, you know, being still able a long to, way to go. Oh, a massive, but, yeah. a massive long way to go. But I feel like what we're doing with the generation that we're raising is bringing awareness and they're all stepping into a world where they're not frowning at things that was once frowned upon. We are all encouraging or we're trying our best to do that. And I feel like if anything, that's a step forward. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Like to see the progress, you know, to think of the days when Chris was growing up, even compared to when I was growing up, I was totally fine with being gay, whereas he would have said, no, no, you, you couldn't have been gay. And that's 10 years. That's not a long time. So now even looking at what our children's future will be, it's, it's so exciting to think that they're going to be okay. Like they will be okay with whatever sexuality, whatever their gender is. And that's really, yeah, important to us. That's so good. And this chat will be more about your IVF journey, but I'm sure there's people listening who may suspect their child is gay or, you know, their child has come out to them as gay. What are kind of your words of advice? What was helpful when you were a 12-year-old who had, you know, come out to the world or come out to your parents that you were gay? I remember coming out to my mum first, and I don't know why it was my mum first, because I'm really like best friends with my dad and I love my mum but as teens I was closer to my dad but I remember saying mum and I was crying and I was like I've got to tell you and I think it was more expecting she would just be disappointed or or just not agree with it because she's Catholic whereas my mum just said yep and and like that was it it was just a yeah I know like what what's wrong (laughs) though why are you crying like what's wrong and I just I was so taken back from by that and I still think about how lucky I am to have these parents that went, yeah, cool. And do you think it was that they didn't mind or that it just wasn't new information to them? Both. Or both, <laughs> yeah. Both. I think it was just they are the biggest supporters of being yourself and they, they really instilled that in me. And for me to feel comfortable to tell them that I'm queer or I'm gay, they were like, yep, great because that's showing that I'm embracing what they taught me. So I think it was a really proud moment for them and they well and truly took it in their stride to be like, yep, no worries, you're good. And were there any hard times due to your sexuality during your teen years? Yeah, there was only one I can think of. In high school I was probably 16 or so and I was dating a woman and we were in Woolworths and we kissed, as you do, teenagers, but I was in school uniform. So some wanker called the school that I went to 
And because my name's so unique, my girlfriend said my name in Woolies, but then this wanker said, well, I heard that this jockey, I saw her kissing a girl in her school uniform, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, so it was very, you don't do that. So then they pulled me in for a meeting and were going to expel me. So I just sat there. I was like, good, ring her. And you can explain to my mum that you're going to expel me because I'm gay. Good luck to you. And did they try and phrase it as it's got nothing to do with you kissing a girl, it's because you were kissing full stop, or was it very clear that it was because you were kissing another girl? Oh, they said it was both reasons, which I clapped back and said, well, we are across the cul-de-sac from an all-boys private school and they kiss outside their school every afternoon. A lot more than kissing up that street too in public <laughs> in their uniform. So if you're they're teenagers, you're, yeah, there's finger banging right up there. Like if you're going to bring <laughs> me down the kissing my girlfriend, you sure as shit want to go up that street and expel everyone then. <laughs> no one's left in the school. Everyone is expelled. <laughs> but that's it. That was my argument. Like you can't point me out or you're homophobic. So which one is it? And let me guess, you stayed at your school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funnily enough, they shut up pretty quickly. Oh, I know. That woman who reported me was actually a friend of my mum's friend too. So she knew of me and still reported me. Wow. That's terrible. So fast forward, when did your kind of reproductive journey begin? Yeah. Okay. So that began five years ago. Chris and I were together for, no, if we've been together, oh, shit, six years we've been talking about IVF then. Yeah. So we were together for around two years talking about what we would like to do and we would like to have kids. So we just bought our first house. And then, yeah, IVF came up because obviously Chris doesn't have any sperm. And then in that moment that we were sitting talking about IVF, my best friend who's a male, he was living in Guatemala, he sent me a message on Facebook and we hadn't spoken in years. We, you know, life, whatever. And he messaged me at that moment saying, Hey, like, if you ever need a sperm donor, reach out to me. What a random message. God, people are nice, aren't they? He, he's wild. It's fine. We don't really, he calls me cum bucket. Like, come on. Like, it's. <laughs> and do tell why does he call you a cum bucket? <laughs> well, he filled me up because he. I don't know if this is too much, but anyway. No, 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 nothing's too much. Nothing's too much here. We've heard it all. We've got people talking about ponies riding to school in the same car as them. It's a wild ride on BTB. Oh, same level, yeah. Um, (laughs) He flew over from Guatemala to Adelaide for his twin sister's wedding a few years ago, and then when he was in Adelaide, we flew him to Brisbane where I am so we could try at home with the turkey baster to see if that would work. So we tried about nine times in the week. So he would do his business in the baby nursery. It's swings and roundabouts and all comes back. And then he would hand the cup to Chris and then Chris would insert that with a syringe inside of me. Oh, so you were all a part of it. Yeah. And then he would like, Ruben, my bestie, would just stand there chatting to me as I've got my legs up in the air against the bed. It's still warm. Oh, yeah, it's still very warm. Yeah. It's very intimate. Yeah. And then so what happened with that? Nothing. So I didn't get pregnant, but I kind of also thought, like I was definitely upset, but I wasn't devastated because 
realistically, the odds weren't with us for trying like that. So that was okay. And then we went into IEY, the, so the stage before IVF. So we did two IEYs thinking we'll just give it a shot again with Ruben's sperm. And Could you explain what that is for people who don't know, like me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. So IEY is like, uh, like the doctors kind of time your ovulation and then they put the sperm from Reuben in a like giant syringe and then just directly put it inside of you. So professional turkey basting. Yeah, well-timed professional turkey basting. Yeah. Got ya. Yeah. So again, you know, the odds are really low for IUI, but I thought, well, I'm only, oh God, what was I then, like 29, healthy-ish. I've got this, you know, it'll be all good. Two IUIs didn't work and that devastated me, absolutely devastated me because not only did I not even, I didn't fall pregnant, I didn't have a miscarriage, I just didn't even fall pregnant, like nothing. I was starting to think, I don't think my body can do this. I don't know that it knows how to do this or it's just not going to work and I just had this feeling inside. (sighs) And then we did three rounds of IVF. So we did those during COVID. So all of this time that I'm going through IVF, I have to do go to the appointments alone, go to the scans alone because mm. Chris was having surgery and also because of COVID, he wasn't allowed in. So I would have to drive myself and it was just horrific. Going through IVF during COVID lockdowns was horrific, but I, I couldn't put it off because I'm aging, right? So I didn't really have a choice. So how old were you at this time? I would have been 30, 31, 32, something around there, yeah. And where you live, was IVF ever put on hold? Because I know in some states there was periods where people couldn't even get IVF. No, because we're in Brisbane. We didn't have the hectic lockdowns. So it wasn't like they were. there were talks of it, and I know that Melbourne stopped, and that broke my heart for them, yeah. which... I guess because you're on so many hormones, I was crying as if I was in Melbourne being affected. I remember just like sobbing for all of my friends in Melbourne who were affected by this and strangers. So no, wasn't affected by that, but it was that everything I did, I was solo. So I felt like I had no support. So I would go to these scans and they would say, oh, you have maybe three or four follicles, which is fuck all. And then I'll have to go back again and they're like, okay, they haven't grown. And I would, it was just bad news after bad news. And this went on for like four years. There was just nothing coming from all of these cycles. And do you feel like because you were doing IVF for quote unquote social reasons that your yes. expectation was we're just going to go in and get pregnant because the, you know, the only thing that's stopping us from getting pregnant is the fact that he doesn't have sperm. Do you feel like that changed your expectations? Yeah. When I look back at photos of when I first began, I just, I'm embarrassed of how naive I was, but also I kind of find some joy in it. Like look yeah. at her, like this person who's so like hopeful. Where's that gone? Yeah. Where's that person gone? And you hear so often, I guess it, it might be similar to people who have been through miscarriages or and they're like, I just want to go back to that first time where I was able to just be 
naively hopeful and yeah. not even cross my mind that something could go wrong. Or you hear people who have gone through IVF and they're like, I just want the shock of weighing on a stick and being like, oh my goodness, I'm pregnant. And that what will never be my story. Yeah. And it feels like right now, it feels like that just will never be my story. And that's so hard because like it will, it will eventually. But as I think back to the third failed IVF, no miscarriage, no pregnancy, like nothing, just nothing happened. And in this time as well, I had two surgeries to remove endometriosis. I had Mm. weight loss surgery, so I lost 25 kilos and it was all to help me have this baby. And then last October would be now fourth round and I I didn't have a single follicle, like I just didn't have anything. So in my scans, they were like, we have to cancel this cycle because there's nothing to extract. So was endometriosis something that you knew you had before you started this journey or did they just do a laparoscopy and they found endometriosis there? So my first endometriosis surgery was when I was 21. So I always knew I had it, but I was never told that it would affect fertility. It was never on the cards. Lucky I'd done my own research and I knew, but before that I had no idea. And I don't think I mentioned as well, I have bipolar, <laughs> which is an absolute shit show. So I have a mood disorder as well as been going through IVF for five years. So, you know, I had to go part-time at work down to four days because I was working in a bank and I would see babies and kids and shopping centres and mm. I just couldn't handle it. I, mm. I just, would, I was crying all day, every day. Are you treated for your bipolar? Yeah, I am. I've got medication for it. So I'm a lot better than I was, but it just, I feel like I go back to square one with it when I go through these treatments. It's hell on earth. I can't imagine the process of going to make the decision of IVF and not having a successful outcome and then having to do it time and time again. Have you ever had therapy to process your thoughts and, you know, deal with the grief that it hasn't happened yet? Yeah. So ironically, I actually work at a telehealth psychology clinic now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've been working there. That's like, convenient. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> For about a year and a half. So I'm very lucky that I'm supported by a lot of psychologists that are friends as well that I can just, you know, chat to or all my colleagues are psych students as well. But I've had, I've always had a lot of therapy. I'm huge on therapy, medication. I've had acupuncture, hypnotherapy, holographic, kinetics, you name it. I've had it. You've done all the things. Yeah, I've done all the things. But And the most frustrating thing is they just keep saying, you're young, it's just a numbers game. Like even saying out loud it's just a numbers game makes me rage inside because it's so dismissive of that person's emotions. That specialist can say to you it's just a numbers game because he's getting there, getting paid millions of dollars to tell me after five years it's just a numbers game. Like how dare you? And it, the second endometriosis surgery took me yelling at him on the phone to listen to me. Like I was hysterical at this point. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't give me extra testing. He just kept saying, I'm, I'm young, fit, healthy. It's just a numbers game, Josie. Just, you know, we'll try again next cycle. And I, I just lost it. I was like, you're not fucking listening to me. 
I have endometriosis. I've had a surgery before. Why the fuck won't you just do another surgery? And he was quite taken back, like, oh, oh, we can do that. It's like, well, I've asked for this for years. Mm-hmm. Why did it take me yelling at you to listen to me? I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, I know my body. And then again, I was proved wrong because cycle four after surgery, I didn't even have any follicles. So I, at least before I had follicles and then October, I didn't even have that. And that was after weight loss surgery. I, you know, I completely changed my diet, my lifestyle. I'd been on all the medications. I'd done everything right. And then going into cycle four in October last year, I had the routine scan and there was just no follicles showing up at all. Before that, I had like maybe four or five at best show up previously. And then this time for like nothing to show up, the nurse just said, look, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to cancel this cycle before it's even kind of begun. How devastating. And for people that don't understand, a cycle isn't just a transfer. Like a cycle is a whole nother round where they then collect the eggs, create the embryos, etc. So when you say you've been through four cycles, not that four transfers is nothing, but that's four times kind of starting again from the very beginning, correct? Yeah, so it's four times going into the appointment, talking about what you're going to do, like your game plan, I guess, and then doing the hormone treatments for two weeks. So I did that all four times. And then the fourth time I was on the medication, like the triggers and everything, I was doing everything right. You know, it's not my first rodeo. And I go in for this scan, like pumped, especially after weight loss surgery and doing all these things, my diet and lifestyle. I was like, okay, I've got this. Like I've got this in the bag. This is what they kept harping on about. You know, I'm 165 centimeters and I was back when they told me I needed to lose weight, I was only 70 kilos. But then over IVF, I got up to 90 kilos from depression, obviously, and the medications. So when I got to 90, I had the surgery and I'm down to 65. So I was like, I've got this. Hang on. Did they tell you that you were overweight at 70 and you're 165 centimetres? Yeah. I'm 72 and I'm 166 centimetres. Yeah, they told me I was overweight back then when I started IUIs and they told me I needed to lose like 8 to 10 kilos. And how did that feel? Oh, so distressing like you've already got enough on your plate like the mental load of IVF is disgusting and then you're already feeling inadequate (laughs) as a woman can't hold pregnant but then you're a fat woman and that's frowned upon does the hormone treatment have any side effect and association with your bipolar I don't know I don't there probably isn't any research on it but from experience yes (laughs) <laughs> mm. Like I just can't imagine, you know, if you've already got a mood disorder, being injected with hormones and having to do this. Well, on- your period alone, even if you Absolutely. don't have a mood disorder, disrupts your mood. So I can't imagine then, you know, obviously it's much greater fluctuations in hormone and then a mood disorder on top of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a lot like it, it was very testing for Chris and I because I was – so up and down, way more down than up, of course. But yeah, I was I was in a really, really bad place every single cycle. And I was realistically, I, I was putting my own mental health at a huge risk with every cycle because 
I couldn't function. I didn't know how I was going to be the next day. I couldn't. I, I was so, so mentally unwell. And what does bipolar normally look like for you? Because I feel like thanks to Hollywood, everyone has a very skewed understanding. Like everyone thinks bipolar is that you're happy one second, sad the next. And obviously that's not the reality. Like what is bipolar for you? So for me, now that I've found a medication, it's more so less, like depression is still there on days and it might last a week or two weeks where I just, I go into a, I guess I call it like a funk where I don't want to see anyone, I barely get out of bed. And when I do, it's just I'll sleep in heat. Like I will just sleep. I'll have naps on my break because I work from home. I don't have energy to clean the house. Like my just it goes into a real depression. Whereas an average person's depression is is they can still, I guess, majority of people can function. Whereas I am really low functioning when I'm in that depressive state. I used to be suicidal, so I've attempted suicide multiple times when I was really bad, like overdosing. I've been in ambulances from that, but now I don't. I do, I'm not there anymore. That was seven years ago. I think that was my last attempt. So that was a while ago. So I'm not. I'm not like that anymore. So I'm really grateful that I found the medication and therapy and things that help. But yeah, like it's it's still yes, yeah, a risk every time. And do you have manic episodes? Yes. <laughs> yes. So when Chris and I first got together, part of my mania is that I spend money like crazy because I just, I don't have that concept. And so when Chris and I first got together, barely knew him, but I asked him if my monthly wage could be transferred into his account straight away. I couldn't access it. And I was like, can you just set up an account to have mm. my wages go in? And then you give me like a weekly allowance and it maps $200 a week and that is all I can spend because I know I have a problem and I don't know what it is yet. I think it's bipolar because I was only diagnosed seven years ago, but I I knew I had a problem back then. So I said, can you please like manage this for me because I'm I'm not going to be the best partner I can be if this shit isn't controlled. Well, thank goodness, or I hope he's a nice guy because that also could have ended very badly if you just oh. meet someone and then you're like, can you please take all my funds? No, and I put that trust in him that he would pay, you know, my car loan or anything else, my yeah. rent, everything. I just, I knew wow. I couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, eight years later, he still he still does everything like that for me. So I just get my weekly allowance because then I can manage, okay, well, if, a stack sale comes up, I can't buy eight pieces. Like I yeah. can only buy certain things. So it's made me really savvy with money, which I never thought I would get to that stage. And then the, like the mania of not sleeping a lot because I just don't feel that need to sleep like most people. And just the hyperactivity, talking really fast, talking over people because I've got so many racing horses and I need to take them out. Like I just need to tell you. And just changing things, like changing my hair all the time. Yeah, impulsive, all sorts. How do you feel about yourself now that you have a diagnosis? Do you feel more at ease and you can understand yourself a little bit better? Yeah, definitely. It's totally, completely changed my life. Like actually having this diagnosis and saying, okay, well, I'm not crazy. And I hate that word that is used so loosely for things, but 
one of the things with bipolar is I get really bad agitation among a million others, but that's the worst for me personally because my agitation, I feel like to describe it, it feels like I'm completely sunburned all over my body, like terrible sunburn, and someone is just scratching my oh sunburn. My so if I'm agitated, I if someone's even talking to me, I feel like someone is just grinding against my sunburn and my whole body shakes because I'm so fucking angry and like sore from being that agitated over the stupidest shit. Could be nothing. So not only do you, you know, obviously you're medicated now, but you're you deal with these highs and lows of of everything and then you go through IVF and have to deal with the hormone injections. And then on top of that, you deal with the, oh, it didn't work this round, but you're young, you can try again. Yeah. Where does that put you? Like where are you at when you have all that under your belt and you still are not pregnant? Oh, and then add, you know, my partner's starting testosterone. So he's going through mood changes with testosterone. Oh, it doesn't put me in a great place. The mental load is what I always say. It's the mental load of like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm looking for an adult in the room to tell me what to do yeah. because I feel like it's meant to be me and I fucking don't know. Yeah. And so in your rounds in the past, like have you got to the point where you've had transfers in any of them? Yeah, I've had three IVF transfers, two IUI and then um, nine at home. Yeah. And then so can you talk us through when those transfers failed in IVF? I mean, a lot of people talk about that two-week wait as being something that you literally cannot explain to someone unless they've been through it themselves. But can you try? What, what, what is that like? Yeah. Also, sorry, I forgot. We, did, we stopped using Reuben's sperm. Okay. So we bought donor sperm from the US. So at this stage as well, we have had three different sperm donors or in total with Ruben and nothing has worked. So it's definitely got to be my body at this stage. But the two-week wait, it's two weeks that your life is completely on hold. Anything that you think is going to happen in the future, it's just it's someone's just pressed pause, but you are still going on this roundabout and you like you just can't get off because life's still happening, but you aren't functioning and you are living and breathing. I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. I've got this, you know, this beautiful mm. embryo on board and I would talk to my belly and I would read my belly stories and, and then nothing. This might be a really silly question to ask. Can you use your partner's eggs and put them inside you? No, because he's on um, testosterone. What about before he was on testosterone? Would that have been an option? Yes, yeah, before, yes. Is it your eggs that are even an issue? Like do they even understand what's going on and where to go next? It's a million-dollar question. If it's my eggs, if it's my uterus, yeah, I don't, no one will give me an answer because they just they say nothing's wrong. They, they, they will look me in the eye and say nothing is wrong. Well, there's something is wrong because you're not pregnant. Yeah, which is a very good argument, but they just, they they honestly just block me out. Like, no, we just, you know, 
the rates are only 40% for IVF, so it just wasn't your time. And each time has the issue seemed like it's been that you're not creating enough follicles or is it that there's follicles and then it gets implanted and it doesn't become like an embryo? Where does it seem to stop? Yeah, so I do. I've had, I think, well, I've had three embryos. After four cycles, I've only had three embryos ever. Yeah. So those three embryos have all been transferred. I don't know the grading of them because I don't get them graded because that's $2,000 per embryo to get graded. And the rounds are about $16,000 each round. So I haven't spent the money to get them graded with. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's just I don't know if it is the embryo or if it's my body, but this round we picked up the medic. Oh, we pick up medication today because we actually have an egg donor now. Okay, and what's was that process like? So this is wild. So I mean, <laughs> the whole thing kind of sounds a little crazy, but this is actually crazy. So I post a lot on Instagram about IVF, mental health, anything, whatever. And a friend of Chris's ex-girlfriend from 10 years ago follows me on Instagram and I've met her once or twice and completely randomly in January this year, I borrowed a dress from her for Elton John's concert and (laughs) like, how did you not? And um, she FaceTimes me to say, hey, your dad's come and picked up the caftan from me like, Oh, gee, like, hope you have the best time at the concert. Like, we chat a bit on Instagram friends. And then in that conversation, she says, my house was, like, broken into last night, crazy story, blah, blah, blah. Like, anyway, talks to me about that. And then ends the conversation with, hey, I know you had a really rough time last year in October when you didn't have any follicles. I've got two children already. If you are open to it, I would love to donate you some eggs. You have amazing people in your life. I know. Look at everyone throwing <laughs> Very generous and people are just throwing, Gifting throwing you. things at you. I wow. know. Well, the sperm, you can like go, oh, whatever. They put it yeah. in socks. Right? Yeah, 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 like, totally. Discard it. And he's a gay man. So I'm like, whatever. That shit is everywhere. <laughs> but, yeah, for someone to like donate eggs, I can't comprehend it. And I've met her maybe twice. So talk us through the process of someone donating you eggs. How yeah, does like, this had work? Had it been something you'd considered before? And if you had, were you initially like, oh, I probably wouldn't want to know the person or I would want to know the person? Because I feel like there's pros and cons to both. Yeah, there, there definitely would be. Last October when I had like, when I, I calmed down a bit, I thought, okay, we would need an yeah. egg donor probably at this yeah. stage. And I spoke to Chris about it and then I said to him, I can't do this again. I'm actually, I cannot do this again. It's it's getting to the point where we're flogging a dead horse and my mental health, like if we try another cycle, even with someone else's eggs, I just don't think I can do it. And I didn't know anyone who would ever even think about donating eggs and I would never ask someone to donate eggs. I just, that is such an incredible thing. I did ask people to donate sperm, however. Yeah. But that shit's everywhere, as you said. Yeah, it was like 2 a.m. and I was on Facebook Messenger messaging every male in my list <laughs> going, hey, I think you're really great. 
Would you donate sperm? That guy that no pops up from on. school, you haven't thought about yeah, him in like. Did you check? Did yeah. you check like you know what they're up to? <laughs> you know, hang on, he's in jail. I'm not going to go Nothing. asking him. <laughs> no, I didn't care at this point. I didn't give a fuck. Ruben's sperm wasn't working. I was like, right, who else? Yeah, we got? and. The desperation. Quickly was before there. we continue with the egg donation, when you were doing the sperm donation, after you decided Rubens wasn't working, were the other three donors people you knew or were they from the sperm bank? No, they were sperm banks. Yeah. So they're all US unknown donors. And what was the process of picking them? Because you get some features and things like or like a celebrity lookalike or something? Yes. So I'll I'll send some screenshots to you after but it's wild it's like tinder on steroids so you get a baby photo of them or a couple baby photos and then a full i know if they're left-handed right-handed i know if they need glasses one of them's allergic to grass cool i know if their grandparents are left-handed right-handed like so much more information that you are like i don't even know if Chris's mum is right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah so you, you know everything about the sperm donor. So that's a crazy process. It's slim pickings out there. It's, really? It's like the nightclub is about to shut and there's only the dreads left. So how did you choose? What kind of things did you prioritise? We prioritised someone who's extroverted because my partner Chris is really introverted and he struggles with that. He finds it incredibly painful growing up he found that really hard so that was a big thing on his list so and then the other thing was just someone who looks like us Mm. because um we're both fair skin fair eye hair etc and my biggest fear is bullying in school because the child you know has queer parents so I just I wanted to minimize any bullying or anyone that doesn't know our child intimately like not knowing that they're not biologically ours but yeah, it's it's really hard. It's really really hard to go through to find a sperm donor. It's, it was a lot harder than I thought. I thought, oh, this will be fun. We'll have like snacks and we'll put it on the TV totally. and we'll just go through profiles because that's what you see on TV. Or you think of a sperm bank and it's just overflowing with options. Yeah, but then you go on and you got twelve options, and it's just like fuck. Like I need someone who looks like me to make my child's life easier. So what's the process of egg donation? So now egg donation, I had no idea. So this all happened on a Thursday morning that she's like, yep, I'll be an egg donor. And I was like, holy shit, what the hell? I was so done with IVF last year. I was out. I I put my stroll up on Facebook Marketplace. Like I was done. And then I told Chris that she offered and he didn't even let me finish the sentence. He was like, yep, 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 yep. We love her. We love her. Let's fucking do it because he's so desperate for kids. Yeah. So the next day she booked an appointment with her GP for the Monday to get a referral to the IVF clinic. I still haven't seen her for 10 years. We've only spoken on Instagram. And I've had other people say, oh, I'll be an egg donor if you need it, like I think to be kind. Yeah. So that made my anxiety spiral that she says she's keen. She says she wants to do this. But she can back out at any stage. So at this point, I'm like up to here, like shaking every day with anxiety about the fact that she could easily ghost me. Because your hopes have just now risen again for the, you know, hundredth time. And my hopes have risen to day one of IVF me. Yeah. Because the whole new egg. 
So this to me is just a whole new ballpark. Like, oh my God, this is actual hope. This is, it is happening. And then the, the thought of she could back out. She could easily back out. And then I think we had to wait a week or two weeks or for our first appointment with the IVF clinic with her. And this was the first time I had seen her for about 10 years. So we met in the car park oh 10 minutes prior to the appointment because we were all running late because that's who I am and she had the one-year-old. So that's who she is I just now. got goosebumps. How incredible. Yeah. So I'm meeting her child for the first time. I'm meeting her and I give her this hug and it's like this energy just, oh, I have it was so It was so weird. It was just, it felt in that moment that I hugged her and that I saw her, I went, She's, she's in right. this. Yeah. She's, yeah. And I just, I don't know how, but I just got that reassurance. And then we're in the meeting and, you know, she's sitting in on our part of the meeting where I'm talking about all of our history. So she's listening to all that. I mean, she's got it on Instagram, but <laughs> and then I'm listening to her part of like her conceiving her children. And I just thought this is such an intimate moment that I, that I get to share and I never thought that we would get to this. I never thought anyone would offer their eggs to me. I never thought I'd be worthy enough for someone to do that. How incredible. And so have you discussed kind of the what-ifs of the future? Like will your child know who the biological mother is? Does she want to have anything to do with a child? Yeah, so we have decided that she'll be Auntie Megan. Yeah. Um, and her husband is really supportive as well, so he'll be uncle. And maybe me, like our child's going to know straight away. There's books about egg donation and sperm donation. So we're just going to be 100% open and honest about it from the get-go. And, you know, we will plan to maybe do an annual holiday with them or something so that our babies can play with their babies and they can grow up as cousins or have that. I I do have this anxiety that my children's going to grow up not knowing who they are or where they're from or because they've got a sperm donor and an egg donor. Yeah. I think it's so special. Like I'm not downplaying the fact that when people naturally fall pregnant, but to tell a child their story and like this story of how much you wanted them and what you have gone through to want this child, they, they, they're going to feel pretty damn special. That's what I'm hoping will like overcome the fear of I don't know my history or like who I am I don't Mm. know the biological parents so I'm really hoping that by telling them the story and reminding them of you know this is what we did to make you will overcome all of their fears of yeah not not knowing that like they're not going to know their sperm donor until they're at least 18 if they even can get access to it I don't know how that works I've not looked into it and does any part of you mourn the fact that the likelihood is that your child will not be a biological child of yours or are you at the point that you were so over kind of the path that you're already on that you're just excited to try something new? Changes daily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Most of me, and I have no logic in my brain, but I try to think, Chris doesn't, he would never have any biological, yeah. like, genetics with our child. So the empathetic part of me is, like, it's selfish if I mourn that I'm not genetically connected to my child because Chris never got that opportunity. Yeah. 
So I can't mourn it because he hasn't. He's totally fine with it. He's logical. He's like, yeah, I know it wouldn't work. You know, yeah. he's so fine with it. So I feel selfish if I mourn that and I don't respect that he hasn't. Or- but you're, you're allowed to have feelings that are different to his. Like if you really wanted this and this is what you've always had in your mind that you've wanted to do, then of course you're going to have Whereas these feelings. Whereas he's probably come to terms with it for longer you know, if he knew that he was truly a man, he would have known Correct. at that point, well, the likelihood is I'm not going to be able to have children that are biologically mine. Whereas this is a very new realisation, potential realisation for you. Yeah. It, oh, it's so new. But like I used to, I, I think it was definitely a coping mechanism. I used to get really down that I would give my child bipolar, that would really affect me. Yeah. The guilt that I would pass down bipolar. But then I would counteract it with humor and say, well at least I'm giving them my blue eyes. <laughs> right. So like they got one thing going for them. Yeah. And it's not their personality. But now I can't make that joke. I'm not giving them well, I'm not giving them my bipolar, hopefully. But I'm not giving them my eyes either. So like that I think it's still really raw. Yeah. You are going to give them a whole world of love and even though they may not get your bipolar, I think like listening to you and hearing who you are and only listen, what we're speaking to you for like 55 minutes, I think bipolar and all, you're an incredible human being and you should be so proud of all the obstacles that you've challenged and faced to get where you are today. And that's not even just the IVF journey. That's a mental load of mental health. That's a mental load of, you know, making that transition and sharing with the world that you are queer. That is you going down this journey of wanting a baby and having a partner that is in transition like these are massive massive hurdles for one person to go through and you've you've done all of that and here you are today expressing this so other women and other people and other partners can feel more understood thank you that's really kind yeah I I do want to I don't know. It's 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 kind of a niche market. Like, oh, my fiance is trans, and we're trying to have a baby. Like, I get that, but I think it is becoming more common. And even just people in like same sex relationships, whatever they, you do tend to go into this quite naive. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I just don't have part yeah. of the dick, and so it, it works. But I, I do want to say that I I do feel really lucky in a sense that. I always knew I was going to do IVF. Mm. I know that I feel like I had a head start in the race compared to my friends who have been shocked by needing IVF in a heterosexual relationship. Like I know my my story is not easy by all means, like after five years, six, five years, but I, I have known that I would always need this. So I am grateful for that because I can't imagine what it feels like for other people who have been trying naturally for a year and that just doesn't work. So that absolutely kills me. So I'm really fortunate for that at least. What's yours and your partner's thoughts on announcing your child's sex? Do you plan on raising your child gender neutral or anything like that? Is that the correct terminology? Yeah. Look, I have friends that are raising their children gender neutral, but... I'm not like I. We are giving our children um, unisex names, yep. not outrageous unisex names by any means. Like, but it's it's no, unless they come to us and yeah. and 
or they show us like not that they have to come out I mean but just tell us something or they show us different things then we're just gonna raise our baby like a baby totally like it's and you can funnel that energy into them knowing that you will accept them no matter what we're we're such an open household it's going to be not even a thing whatever happens with our baby so where are we at today so today we picked up the medication. So Megan will start that for two weeks and then she will go in for egg collection on the 14th of April. I've already had a cry about this, but I'm not allowed in the room for egg collection. So it's little things like that that remind me that it's not my eggs and I'm not doing this. And is that because you're not her partner or because of lingering COVID things or why can't you be in there? I've asked because I said, like, you know, she is my egg donor. This is for me. This is my baby. And they've just said, no, like, Megan's the only one allowed in there. So I don't know if it's COVID shit, still lingering or what. But so I'm just going to have to get a nurse to film. Yeah. From the waist up. Yeah. What's happening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because my dad's like, why do you want to be in there? That's that's personal. I'm like, no. No, I'm I'm not going to be down that end. But also, I think you guys are beyond personal at this at this point. <laughs> oh, so beyond it. And does Megan look like you guys? She's got bleached blonde hair like me, <laughs> so she's naturally like brunette. But she's got green eyes, fair skin, and her her children are blonde, yeah. blue eyed, or green eyed. Yeah. So yeah, so like close it's enough. Incredible that she actually yeah looks the most like me than most people probably do and for her to be the one to offer crazy and what do you have to go through I guess to accept someone else's egg or is it much the same as though you were getting the embryo like before so we have to because we have social infertility so like you mentioned earlier so so I'm not infertile I'm socially infertile um that's what Medicare but surely with your track record now you've potentially shown that there's more to it than just your partner not having sperm they were still calling me socially infertile at the first IVF round so I don't know I would look into that I feel like you've shown that you know now that you've been through four rounds of IVF there's more to it than just the sperm (laughs) you think so but like to have an egg donor so the the process of it you have to have three counseling sessions so one was just Megan and her husband with the counsellor, then me and Chris with the counsellor, then all four of us discussing that, you yeah. know, we understand, I don't know, like how, and we had to prove how we're going to tell our child and what our plan is. Like we had to prove ourselves as parents to get an egg donor, but we had to do that to get a sperm yeah. donor too. So we've been through six sessions with this same person about it. It's fucking insane. And legally, once that egg leaves Megan's body, is that then your egg? Yes. Yes. So we signed all these waivers. Like she's had to sign off that once these eggs are extracted, that they become mine and Chris's property. So we own them. So we have full decisions. So Megan can't come back and say, no, you need to destroy your embryos or you need to destroy your eggs. Like she's completely out once we have those eggs. So, yeah, like I still, in the back of my mind, I still have this anxiety that until those eggs are out, she could pull out. Like it's still. I think that's totally natural to yeah, feel that way. Terrifying because I just think so much. Like my whole 
like mine and Chris's and it will be my parents' first grandchild. Like all of this is just hanging on one person just going, yeah, I follow Instagram and I'll donate eggs. Like, what? It sounds like she's a bit past that point though. Yeah, like she, she is. Can we all agree on well, that? she's gotten <laughs> she's to the counselling session, so I think yeah. she's, she's nearly <laughs> Unless there. Unless she was just really curious about what happens, I think she's past the I follow you on Instagram and found your story interesting part. I know, and it's not rational, but that's anxiety. Like it's still telling me that she could pull out. And I, it, we've had a 14-day cooling-off period. Like it's like we're buying a fucking car where she could have pulled out uh, back then and she obviously didn't and I know like yeah I know she's so in but the anxiety is still like oh, till those eggs are out oh. yeah well anxiety is all about not having control over a situation and IVF is not having a control and having a baby is not having <laughs> any control so you are very warranted to be anxious until this is all in some sort of control yeah, until like I'm actually holding this child, I won't believe it's there. Yeah. And, you know, Megan's 39 this year and I'm 34 and she said to me, God, I'm desperate for this to work for you, but, you know, have you thought about if it doesn't work? And I said, like, I don't know how I would react if it did work. I wouldn't, I've never felt that. So yeah. I'm more prepared for it not to work than for it to work. Oh, we so hope it does work. Yeah. And please keep us posted. Thank you. So, you're in such a raw state right now. Like it's one thing to talk about it once the baby's here. Um, but, yeah, it really is another thing to talk about it when you still in don't know what the outcome is going to be. Yes. So thank you so <laughs> thank much for you. sharing your story. And, yeah, as Jade pointed out, there's lots of layers to it and I feel like one of the layers will probably – you know, relate to most people out there. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me and I really do help it. Just I hope it helps someone even with them or someone that they know just how to support them or just check in. What I'm is sure the best way, just to finish off, what have you found is the best way that you can support a friend who is going through IVF or fertility issues? Myself, I found that I'm really obsessed with it, like unhealthy obsession with wanting to talk about it. And I guess that's because it's yeah. just consumed my life for the longest time. So mm. for me, it's having permission to talk about it. So someone opening the dialogue and it not being me just like word vomiting at them. Yeah. So someone mm. just checking in and asking how it's going is like, oh, my God, someone cares. It's oh, not that's beautiful. me bothering people. And maybe just. Yeah, take them out of the house, like just spend time with that person that just needs a bit of love and support and give them a hug or learn what their language is and just give them a little bit of that because it just makes the biggest difference to someone who just feels so alone. Well, thank you for coming on and we wish you all the best. Yeah, and it was our pleasure to hear your story. If that's what you if that's what you love doing, it was our pleasure to listen. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you both so much. I will keep you updated about uh, yeah, what happens next. Please do. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.